Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Take a licking. <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for super chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer radio show brought to you by Calm Bach Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, author of Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop, National Spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds Program and Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, show poultry, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kambach Feeds. At Kambach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. I'm about to say something that may shock you. There's a chance the mealworm treats you're feeding your chickens are doing them more harm than good. Most of the mealworms sold in the U.S. are hollow and empty because of how they're processed, leaving them with little or no nutritional value. The problem is chickens love healthy insects like mealworms, but there hasn't been a way to get access to them in large quantities. Until now, the only mealworm company I endorse is The Honest Worm because of the way they raise and process their mealworms. Now, they've set aside some bags only for my listeners to try for free. Just cover the cost of shipping and handling. Head on over to freemealworms.com. 
That's freemealworms.com. If you don't see sold out at the top of the page, that means there's still some bags left, but only for a limited time. Go to freemealworms.com and get your free bag today. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All-natural, non-toxic, premium-grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. That's SweetPDZ.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. In reality, I am Super Chicken. All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends at Calm Block Feeds. Um, I might be heading up to uh, the dealer conference here the first part of March. I think it's March 1st, 2nd, 3rd. Um, man, it's a great conference, agricultural conference and dealer conference, and it is phenomenal. They have really well-known um, nationwide uh, 
renowned speakers, motivational speakers. It's awesome. All about really for the dealers for um, uh, and their business. And uh, I'm sure this year will be no exception. It's going to be up in Columbus, Ohio. I'm really looking forward to attending. I've spoken there the last three years, I believe, um, on uh, backyard poultry and how it affects their dealers or dealers in general as well. Uh, and um, I don't think I'm speaking this year, unless it may be a last-minute thing. If they got an opening, they may try to slide me in. But it's a great event, and I hope to be attending again this year. Um, great show lined up for you today, Bantam Chicken Breeds for Beginners. And our guest today, of course, is Dr. Bridget McRae, Ph.D. We'll be discussing, again, Bantam Breed, uh, Bantam Chicken Breeds for Beginners, if you haven't kind of uh, gone down that road with bantams, uh, this will be a good episode for you. So get those chicken whisper notebooks out and get ready to take some notes. We have the chicken chat room open, and this is something we're starting again here for 2018. Uh, we have by far more listeners to the archive show, and of course the chat is not available during the archive show, so I apologize to you uh, archive listeners, and there are literally thousands of you, so thank you very much for tuning in. This is our 10th year of broadcasting, 10 years. I think this is episode 1,126. Holy cow, that's a lot of, uh, of podcasts about chickens. That's a lot of chicken chat. But, um, yeah, so uh, we do have the chicken chat room open, and we'll hopefully that in this year it'll, it'll uh, get back like it used to be. used to be we'd have, you know, up to 75 to 100 people uh, listening live in the chat room. Others listen live, but they couldn't access the chat room. It was funny. I'd get emails from folks, my workplace has the chat room blocked, <laughs> but they can still listen. That was odd. But um, we miss all you guys that used to be in the chat room that still listen live. So uh, great show lined up today. Let me get over to chickens in the news real quick. I also wanted to start 2018. I used to do this a lot, and I wanted to get back to doing this again. Um, and we just have a couple uh, today. Let me scroll down here and find out where it is at. Um, ah, here it is. And this is related. It is across the pond, if you will comes to us from South China Morning Post, to us from Hong Kong. I've actually been to Hong Kong. It was a fascinating trip. Spent three weeks in uh, China. That was our last stop coming out of China and uh, Hong Kong before we flew back to the States, uh, landing in Hawaii for three days. That was pretty cool. But a uh, fascinating trip, one of my most memorable trips ever. Walking on the Great Wall of China, how cool was that? Um, Hong Kong on alert after China confirms world's first human case of H7N4 bird flu. Health authorities warn holiday travelers to avoid contact with live poultry uh, as a, and I'm going to just totally destroy this, Jiangsu uh, uh, woman tests positive for uh, avian influenza strain. Um, and uh, it's the Chinese New Year, if you didn't know, talking about holiday travelers. Uh, it is the uh, Chinese New Year, so it's, it's like a month-long vacation, uh, or it is quite long. Uh, my wife teaches uh, children uh, in, in China, China residents over there, uh, English, and uh, that, that's something that she does uh, part-time. She's not homeschooling our kids. Uh, she was a teacher for 10 years and holds many degrees, and now she teaches um, children from China uh, the English language, so uh, she knows all about because it's slow right now, people doing bookings because of uh, the Chinese New Year. They're all on vacation, so if you're wondering holiday, uh, so now you have that information. 
But uh, the center said, let's see, wait, wait a minute, here we go. Um, mainland China has confirmed the world's first human case of a virulent bird flu strain, prompting Hong Kong Center for Health Protection to issue an alert for the city. The center said, uh, health authorities confirmed this month that a 68-year-old woman uh, had been infected with the H7N4 avian influenza after developing symptoms on December 25th. The woman has uh, the woman was admitted to the hospital on New Year's Day and was discharged on January 22nd. 22 days in the hospital. She had contact with live poultry before she developed symptoms, but no person in close contact with the woman had similar symptoms, the center said. The authorities in mainland China did not say whether there was an outbreak of H7N4 in poultry. The center said the mainland health authorities confirmed the genes of the virus were determined to be of avian origin. Uh, the center reminded Hong Kongers heading to the mainland or other affected areas for Lunar New Year, you go, uh, to avoid visiting wet markets, live poultry markets, or farms. So, and it goes on and on and on and on and on with information. But um, again, something, you know, this, this time of year, if you remember a couple, three years ago, we had the big uh, um, uh, highly pathogenic strain here in the United States. And uh, boy, it, it went through. I mean, at this time that year, we were just barely getting into the outbreak. So, uh, we're, we're, of course, I wouldn't say we're out of the woods yet. We've been very good at containing that over the last couple of years since we had the big outbreak. But uh, this is across the pond, and uh, the, it made news because the first uh, says human case um, over there right now. So, I wanted to share that in our chickens in the news segment. And then I've got another one here for you. Let's see which this one. Oh, this one's interesting too. And this one, um, Dr. McCray, I see she's dialed in. She's in the switchboard. She used to live up in this area. This coming comes to us from the University of Maryland's independent student newspaper, The Diamondback. And uh, the column is titled, Chicken Farming Might Be Making People Sick. Maryland Should Investigate. Okay, let's scroll down here. And, of course, they have a picture. <laughs> the article seems to be about big corporations uh, and big commercial farmers, but the picture they use is uh, a small little what appears to be a uh, little backyard flock, one, two, three, four, maybe about 15, 20 chickens. <laughs> and there may be more out roaming around, kind of see in the background, but it doesn't look like a big commercial operation, which they're talking about. Um, uh, let's see. The Maryland General Assembly is receiving, excuse me, the Maryland General Assembly is reviewing a bill this season that would create a committee on air quality. So we're not talking about what we talked a little bit about water uh, quality in, in, in an episode here this year, on air quality to test for toxins and health concerns in the air surrounding large agricultural farms, many of which are chicken farms. Eastern Shore residents have recently been speaking out about what they say are the harmful effects of farm air on their health. Those in support of the bill have good reason to be. Fumes from chicken litter contain ammonia, hydrogen sulfide, and uh, organic compounds, all of which can pose a threat to human health in high amounts. Uh, even if the chemicals from chicken litter fumes are not strong enough to actually cause adverse health effects, humans... Uh, 
Humans' wide range of odor sensitivity means that the mere unfriendly smell is enough to cause some people health problems. I wonder if they want to follow that up with any science. A strong odor can trigger many health disturbances, such as headaches, nausea, undue stress, or tension. <laughs> I'm sorry. In this way, even without measurable physical symptoms, odors can change health perceptions uh, for the worst. Let's see. Let's go down here. Um, we've got to add here, of course. Um, from 2005 to 2015, the Maryland poultry industry saw a half a billion, half a billion pound increase in production. As of 2016, the industry accounted for 41% of the state's agricultural income, making it the biggest source of agricultural income in Maryland. On the eastern shore, especially, chicken farming is an uh, integral part of the economy, but with more farms becomes more farm air. So this, is, this bill needs to pass with the proper amendments to gain more pen knowledge about farms threat to air quality. While many farmers don't like costly regulations or requirements, they must coexist with their neighbors and minimize negative environmental impacts. I wonder who was there first. It's kind of like that person who moves into an area. They see a piece of property and they really like it. Uh, and they build a house. And then, uh, guess what? There's a farm next door. It's been there for 40, 50, maybe 100 years. And then all of a sudden they build this house, they move in, they're outside playing badminton. <laughs> What's that smell? Oh, it's a farm next door. Oh, I don't like that. I think I'm going to go complain. They've been there a year. The farm's been there 100 years. They move in. Maybe they don't do their research. They're in their backyard. And, oh, my gosh, What's that smell? That's the farm that's been there 100 years that you moved next to. But now they have a problem with it, want to change it or put the farm out of business. Okay. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago about, you know, the water, water um, um, safety in, in the, the poultry farms. And, and as I told you, out of all of the, uh, uh, what did we say, um, programs that I've been to in the last decade, man, there always seems to be uh, training on water cleanliness and water treatment from poultry farms. It's a huge, huge topic, and they, they spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on this, and uh, the water safe because, let's face it, they use a lot of water. But now they're talking about, or somebody's kind of started the game of talking about air quality. And I'm not saying that that should be downplayed, but at the same time, um, I, I find it kind of interesting that they're starting to complain. I, I wonder if the underlying part of this is maybe some of the uh, – animal welfare places that are against animal rearing and they're trying to figure out and come up with all kinds of different ways to uh, cause trouble. But um, let me go ahead and X out of that, get back over to the switchboard. We'll bring um, Dr. McCray on and because she lived up in that area. has huge chicken area in Purdue and a bunch of folks up there on the peninsula and Maryland and all that area and uh, now they're talking about air quality and it kind of reminds me, Dr. McCray, back uh, when we did a report about driving behind the chicken truck in a convertible with an open soda can in the cup oh. holder, and and what and, and what what kind of uh, okay here I am behind this chicken truck in a convertible riding down the road with this open soda can, and let's ride behind this chicken truck for a few miles, and then we'll swab everything in the convertible <laughs> and, see, and see what we've got here. Um, so is that, is that first of all, me? I'd like to see oh. you in a convertible. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Huh? <laughs> uh, well, you know, Dodge, I, too... I can't believe I'm saying this. 
Dodge did make a convertible truck back, I want to say it was in the late 80s, uh, the 87 to what? 90, I think it was. They made a, yeah, they made a convertible. It, was, it wasn't the full-size Ram. It was their Dodge Dakota, I think it was, which was their, they called it a mid-size pickup. So it was a little bit bigger than the Ford Ranger, but not as big as the full-size trucks. I think it was the Dodge Dakota. But they made a convertible pickup truck, and I'm like, you know, being a truck guy, I'm like, if I was going to drive a convertible, it would probably be a convertible pickup truck, but I'm not going to be caught dead. <laughs> I'm not going to be caught dead in a Dodge, so um, I'm Ford through and through. So, but now I'm going to get all the hate mail from from Dodge people. It's yeah, not, you, you broke not this one on yourself. <laughs> if it's not one thing, it's another. Oh my goodness gracious! Uh, but uh, they'll have to write me letters because they can't drive to where I'm at because their trucks won't start. So. Oh. <laughs> so, so. Ouch. <laughs> I know, man. It, it is countless. The Dodge, Ford, and Chevy jokes that are out there. So, but um, I love you, Dodge listeners. But uh, but yeah, so uh, yeah, convertible truck. If I was going to be a convertible, but anyway, and then that reminds me even more of um, uh, Peter Brown, who lives up in that area as well, Sal- Salisbury, Maryland, talking about um, Salisbury uh, biosecurity. Yeah, Sal- Salisbury, and uh, is that like the steak? Salisbury. No. Steak. Anyway, Salisbury. Uh, Salisbury. Salisbury, Salisbury. Salis, Salis, it's spelled weird. It's S-A-L. Anyway, he was talking about in <laughs> um, the uh, uh, one about biosecurity and big commercial folks. They're all biosecurity this, biosecurity that, biosecurity this, biosecurity that. And then they put all these chickens on a truck, and they go flying down the highway. There's feathers flying everywhere. There's poop flying everywhere. There's dust flying everywhere. But yet we're all concerned about biosecurity. So we've talked about this too. We've we've covered biosecurity and how everything is all great and dandy until they put that big rig on the on the highway and there's a psh, there's no covering up biosecurity flying everywhere. So um, wow, every every comment reminds me of another one that's all kind of related. But air quality now <laughs> uh, seems to be maybe the next the next big push for I think folks. It was in the these early nineties, maybe it was the late eighties, but there was a good article in the very first issue of the Journal of Applied Culture Research by a, a gentleman who's no longer with us. His name is John Voris, who who was facing that issue near Fresno, California, big agricultural county, community, uh-huh. but Fresno keeps growing. And, you know, that's one of the issues that were they were talking about was, um, you know, air pollution and noise pollution. But I think that one was all air pollution um, because yeah. if you have ever been to the Central Valley of California in the middle of summer, it's got this haze mm-hmm. over it. Um, unless you're closer to the Bay Area where it gets a breeze, but down at the at the ends of the valley, you don't necessarily get the breeze kind of clear things out. So, you know, particulate matter is an issue, and it's not just in Fresno; it's everywhere. And they realize it, and that's why in Maryland they started the Vegetative Buffer Program. So what they did is they planted native plants that would um, collect particulates from chicken houses and kind of sequester them. Um, So every time it rained, you know, it would just wash some of those particulates down into the root system of the plants, and they could utilize it. Um, other things could be done, such as like, you know, the time of year when it's not raining as much, you could um, brush down those trees if you wanted, or you could just wait for the next good rain. 
but you know it helps sequester on that property particulates so that they're not going you know twenty hundred feet away to a potential subdivision or something like that, which helps reduce the amount of smell and particulate matter in the surrounding area. Living in so there you uh, go, the vegetative the, buffer program. There you go. So, um, yeah, just, uh, again, something to think about. Chickens in the news. We do cover both uh, commercial farming, backyard farming, hobby farming, organic farming, the whole nine yards. And those were a couple that I had picked out for uh, today. And uh, about the bird, the woman who's got the uh, the bird flu, avian influenza, over there in the Hong Kong area. And then, of course, the the uh, article in uh, university paper about uh, air quality and all the chicken farms. But, you know, I, they still have to remember, I wonder if for, uh, for 30 days if I collected all the articles complaining uh, about chicken farming and then asked every single person who'd either agreed with those or who wrote those if they had chicken wings in the last 30 days, being that the Super Bowl was, and Americans consumed one, 1.35 billion chicken wings. Is that the pot calling the kettle black, I think, is the statement that we like to make sometimes. Have you had chicken wings in the last 30 days? When you went to that Super Bowl party, did you have chicken wings? Well, now you're complaining about where those chicken wings came from. So you're contributing to the problem you're complaining about. So I don't know, you know, can any other country in the world can, you know, uh, provide 1.35 billion chicken wings for one day worth of use? One day. So, uh, hey, let's get to our topic, phantom chicken breeds for beginners. Now, Dr. McRae, you and I both know a lot of people start with bantams. And, and some of that I've heard is that, well, I just I want to start small. That's a big chicken over there. That's a big buffalo. <laughs> those are big birds. And I want to start. I'm a little afraid of chickens right now. I'm kind of scared. Maybe I'll start with something small or more like a, a parrot or a parrot, you know. And so um, so they'll start with the smaller breeds. Maybe they, oh, it's, I have a small backyard. I, have, I need smaller birds. And I can have a smaller coop. Then I can have smaller this. And I'm not so intimidated by them. So I've heard all these things about people that it started with bantam breeds, uh, bantam chickens, instead of the large fowl birds. And uh, so that's just one reason why a lot of people, some people start with, so this is good, bantam chicken breeds for beginners, because there are people out there that choose to go for the smaller birds, and there's a, a boatload of reasons why they start with bantams to begin with. We just mentioned a few, but um, we're ready to learn about some of your choices of bantam chicken breeds for beginners. And one of the things that you may not have thought about or may not have been mentioned is some of these bantam breeds don't look exactly like chicken. So it doesn't look as intimidating. And I'm talking <laughs> about the silky because, yep. you know, it doesn't have the traditional comb. It doesn't have the traditional feather structure. Um, a lot of them just look soft and poofy, and that's very unintimidating to certain people who like the idea of chickens, but kind of the beak looks sharp, the eyes look fierce, or perhaps the way the chicken holds itself is intimidating. Silkies ain't going to hurt anybody. Well, <laughs> they look very unintimidating. Um, and, and maybe I, young, I, I want... I want chickens. I want chickens in my backyard that don't look like the chickens I'm frying up in a pan, or, or you know that. Uh... <laughs> you know, I, I was gonna go that route, but you beat me to it. <laughs> yeah, last time somebody fried up a 
uh, <laughs> a silky chicken. They probably were shocked at the color, the skin, and the bones, and the uh-huh, meat. Yep. They're all dark. Yep. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, now that's a specialty item in certain restaurants. But You're think right. about it. If you if you had a traumatic issue with chickens when you were a child, but you kind of want your own eggs, it is pretty neat to have a chicken that isn't going to take take you on um, in the same way as a bigger large fowl can, where they can actually kind of hurt you, <laughs> maybe get some <laughs> flight height. That's not to say that with these bantam sizes that there are not some saucy fellows out there who think they're the size of a large fowl rooster. Um, but, you know, when they act up, it's it's much easier to kind of push them aside than it is a bigger <laughs> bird that can maybe poke some holes in you. Um, that's not to say, folks, that that when I talk today about some of these breeds, that there aren't bad actors in every bunch. And that can be genetics, that could be uh, behavior, you know, cause of their environment or how you've trained them. You let any chicken get away with something and they're just going to keep it up, like a cat, like a dog, like any animal. If in well, like a lot of people don't realize like my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and humans. Yeah. Humans too. Yeah. So let's start with the silky, because that's very, very popular. Um, Silkies only come in bantam size. That shocks most people, because when they order silkies from, like, say, they open up the catalog and they see these big fluff ball chickens, snowballs, if they're white chickens, um, from the hatcheries, they're not focusing on breed standards. They're focusing on getting eggs to hatch and getting them out to you and getting you a quality bird. Um, but they're not show quality birds. So size, sometimes you can get some real monsters. And, um, yes, these birds should have a crest. Um, whether or not you get a beard um, whether or not you get a, oh, I thought my battery was dying. Who freaked me out for a minute there. Um, whether or not you get a beard on these uh, hatchery quality birds, it can vary. So if you're looking to go local, to support local, of course, look for a breeder who's NPIP approved. And someone who's taken the time to uh, to work on some of these silkies and create a quality bird, you're going to pay more money for them. You're not going to be able to get 25 of them for you know 40 bucks, 50 bucks. You're going to pay 25 each, or maybe two for 30, something like that. Um, but nice thing is, a lot of these birds are good with kids. They're light and easy for a child to hold. And if this is a family venture that you're getting into, 
you don't want to choose a large breed that is a little difficult for a child to hold if they start to kick in and flap, and and they do, depending on how the young person's holding them. Um, you know, squeezing the chicken, not exactly what they like. You know, teach young people how to hold the chicken properly. Um, there is a, an association to help um, folks find the breeders of the breeds that they want. Um, there's a couple publications that you should know about. Um, of course, there's the American Poultry Association. But since we're talking about bantams today, let's talk about the American Bantam Association. They have their own standard of perfection for those bantam breeds. And one of the things I did forget to mention early on is that there are every breed that comes in large fowl size has a bantam counterpart. However, due to the popularity of the bantam size and certain bantam breeds, some breeds have been developed um, that are called true bantams. They do not have a large fowl counterpart. Silky is one of them. And that's kind of where I'm focusing today is on these true bantams. And you're not going to find them in large fowl. So if you're really into silkies, Take a look at the standard in the American Bantam Association. Get your hot little hands on a copy of Poultry Time, which is a newspaper for show poultry folks. They also have very good articles on different topics from time to time that are of value to any backyard flock owner. And that's a publication that comes out monthly, and that's called Poultry Time. Now, if you're just interested in the silky, the American Silky Bantam Club has their own website, and you can Google that, the American Silky Bantam Club. What they have is um, a members list. You have to pay for, for access to it. Um, if you're really into to silkies, they do have um, like mugs and key rings, books that you can buy. That supports their club. Uh, they have a standard. They have articles. <clears throat> they also have uh, a list of um, meats available, and they also have a junior program. So it may be a club that you'd be interested in joining from wherever you are in this great country of ours, and that's the American Silky Bantam Club. Hey, and what's once that you take a that, look at that Poultry Time, T-I-M-E, is that Bantam, that show magazine? Poultry Times. T-I-M-E-S. Now, I'm familiar with um, Poultry Times, but because I've subscribed to their newsletter, but that isn't, that's a lot of commercial um, magazine, oh, commercial-like. Oh, sorry, it's the Poultry Press. What is wrong with me today? I was, was going to say, sorry. I, know, I know Poultry... No, you <laughs> send me for a loop. I want to make sure our listeners, because I'm, I'm familiar with Poultry Press and, and the Wolves, who, who started that, Bill Wolf, and then his daughter, I think, yeah, took that over. Yeah, it's Poultry and, Press. Uh, I'm sorry. No problem. I just, you the threw me for a loop, too. And, sitting uh, <laughs> over the desk behind me, and I 
leached into my um, leached into my thought process. Can you still hear me? Okay. I can now. Yeah, there was a little bit of uh, beeping there for a moment, but it's gone. Okay. Um, so, what I would recommend that people do is, you know, study up on the breed that they're interested in. If they want to find a local breeder, find someone who is NPIP tested and um, start that conversation. Maybe meet up with them at a local show. But the Stokey is a really nice breed to get started with. One of the other breeds that um, is very popular is the Seabright. S-E-B-R-I-G-H-T which is named after Sir John Seabright, and that's the actual very first recognized true bantam. And the breed is hen-feathered. So, interestingly enough, even the males have rounded feathers. They're bred to be that way. They're the only breed where that's allowed in the American Poultry and American Bantam Association. They're the only hen-feathered breed. If that happens in some other breed, you're out. Sorry, DQ. <laughs> uh-huh. perfectly fine. Seabrights, um, the males are a little saucy. Okay, they're really saucy. Um, they're very confident birds. The females are absolute darlings. So I like to recommend the females to real beginners and, and young people, but not the males. <laughs> That's a <laughs> program, however. <laughs> um, so what I'll say is uh, the Seabrights are, are awfully good with kids. Um, and I wouldn't hesitate saying that's a good one for people to go get their hands on um, for the first time. Uh, Seabright uh club has a Facebook page that's open. Um, anybody can join. Uh, but you'll have to just look at you know, Seabright Club of America, I believe is what it's called. And you can find them online. Let's see if I can find it. There it is. Seabright Club of America. And um, lots of good people. People who very much want to see their breed picked up and um, learned about by young people. In fact, a lot of the breeders are very, very giving to youth with regard to this breed. Um, They come in golden, which is kind of a buffish, brownish color with black lacing around each feather, and silver, which is the same thing, except for that buff golden color is replaced with white. So you've got um, golden and silver varieties. So there's only two to choose from, which makes it easy. One of the other things that I like to tell people about with the Seabright is they have a rose comb. And it's a large rose comb. If you're buying Seabrights and they have a single comb, somebody is selling you a crummy bird. And I see this all the time. Birds that are picked up at feed stores, I don't know where they come from, but if that little chick, from the time you pick it up, if it doesn't have a a rose comb, and you can see a single comb versus a rose comb, 
don't buy it if it has a single comb. That's a poor quality bird. Somebody's not doing a good job with their breeding program. A little bit of a purple face on some of the hens is just fine. The hens have, if they're very good, what's called a gypsy face, which is that kind of purplish coloration. Um, that is a desirable trait. But, um, you know, they have very, very prominent rose comb, especially on the male birds. Um, and very pleasant dark-colored eyes as well. You know, my phone is making some noises, and I have no idea what it means. <laughs> we can't hear um, it right now, so as long. Okay, that's good. <laughs> All right, moving on. There's a couple of breeds that have a, a kind of a combined association. Um, feather feet, feathered feet are what we're talking about here. Uh, we've got booted bantams and the Belgian diocles. Um, in the United States, they've got a combined uh, combined website. It's the Belgian Ducal and Booted Bantam Club. And these are nice, larger-bodied birds, but not all that much heavier. Uh, it's a nice step up for a young person or family that's willing to take on a feather-legged breed. <clears throat> now, they have copious amounts of feathers. Um, on their outer toes um, and on the middle toe. And this is a management nightmare for someone who wants a bird to wander around the yard. You want to keep those feathers in really good condition. They snap off close to the body. You can get, um, you know, because they're running away from something or they snag it on something, um, you can kind of get a blood feather in there and, so if you're going to manage these birds, you need to keep them on deep litter so that they stay in good condition. So booted bantams and Belgian buccals, um, you know, as soon as they hatch out, you're going to see that the outer toe, the one on the outside, and part of the inner toe have um, natal down all the way down to the uh, toenail. And it's supposed to be there. We have a variety of, of um, color patterns to choose from. Their website does a very nice job of explaining uh, each of the two breeds' um, expectations, what um, the American Phantom Association recognizes as far as varieties for each breed, and what the American Poultry Association recognizes for each be breed. Oftentimes, the American Poultry Association doesn't necessarily recognize the same number of varieties as uh, the American Bantam Association. Like, say, a case in point, a Belgian Diocal Bantam, and Diocal is uh, D, comma, U, C, C, L, E, or Diocal or Diocal. You can pronounce it either way. Um, so the APA recognizes black, golden neck, millifleur, mottled, porcelain, self-blue, and white. Over in the American Bantam Association, they recognize black, blue, buff, golden neck, gray, millifleur, mottled, porcelain, self-blue, and white. So a few more. 
And a lot of people, the first time they see a diuko, um, they recognize the the spotted pattern, which is kind of a buff color followed by a black dot and then a white dot, and they think it's absolutely beautiful, and they call them milliflores. That's not the breed. The breed can come in milliflor as well as black and white. Porcelains are also very popular because they're beautiful. It's hard to keep a porcelain bird or a light-colored bird as clean, but they're just beautiful specimens for your yard. Just keep in mind that when you refer to a milliflor or a porcelain, you're usually referring to the variety and not the breed. I always have to remind his kids of that in the showmanship ring because they'll say, oh, I have a milliflor. Um, and milliflor comes in, in booted bantams too. Um, so I have to remind them, okay, but what breed do you have? <laughs> Hopefully they should know that. Um, not all of these clubs that I've mentioned so far have club stores, but some of them do. So if, you know, if you're a fan of of uh, ducals or millifloors in either ducal or booted bantams, visit their club store and see if you can't support their club, even if you don't have birds of that color variety yet. Someday you might. Um, one more breed to share with you is mm-hmm. the Dutch. The Dutch looks a whole lot like an old English game in their bearing, in their attitude, their size. A lot of the color patterns, the varieties are the same, but you don't have to dub them, which is kind of nice. Some people don't want to dub a bird. They have no desire to dub their chickens. And, you know, the Dutch might be the way to go for those folks. Um, kind of new to the United States. I mean, came about in the 50s and then disappeared and came back in the 70s. But, um, you know, the they do have a an association. You can go check that out if you'd like. Uh, I think it's the Dutch Bantam Breeders of America. Um Beautiful color patterns, just beautiful. And I would say, like, um, you know, the cuckoo, the uh, light cream, what is it, cream light brown, there's about 18 different varieties that come in. Of course, there's plain old white, there's plain old black. Uh, cuckoo is beautiful because it, uh, it's basically – you take the color of a black-breasted red bird and you put stripes all over it. So it's like a barred chicken mixed with your traditional, you know, black-tailed, golden-hackled, dark-chested rooster from farmyard photos um, with barring all over. So it's really quite beautiful. And like I said, a lot of people don't care to uh, dub their birds, and so the Dutch Phantom is perfect for them. Very small, light-bodied hens that are very good for kids to work with. Um, Males are kind of mellow. 
not always, but kind of mellow. So that's kind of nice. Um, but I think at this point, Andy, you might want to have a commercial break. We can do that. Not a problem. And um, I appreciate that. I was just looking at the clock to to roll with that. So, uh, folks, if you're just tuning in, we are talking with Dr. Bridget McRae. The topic today is Bantam Chicken Breeds for Beginners. She's sharing some different breeds. Earlier in the show, we talked about why uh, you may want to choose a Bantam breed for your first uh, uh, flock versus maybe uh, the large fowl. But um, that's a decision you have to make, and hopefully the show and what we're discussing will help you make that determination. Or you may have started with largefowl um, poultry, and now you're looking at, you know, expanding the flock a little bit and going with the bantam breeds for your backyard as well. So nonetheless, hopefully this show is uh, contributing to help you make that decision. And guess what? We'll be back with more right after this short break. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. How would you like to sleep in on the weekends without having to get up early to let your chickens out or not have to rush home after eating dinner to shut your chickens in for the night? And who's had the unfortunate surprise that a raccoon, possum, or fox got to your chickens because you forgot to close the coop? Well, your days of worrying have come to an end. Introducing the Chicken Guard Automatic Chicken Coop Door Opener. Working off either the timer or light sensor, Chicken Guard automatically opens your coop door in the morning to let the girls out and shuts it at night to keep them safe. Tried and trusted by over 40,000 users worldwide. Buy Chicken Guard online at chickenguardian.com or your local farm and feed store. That's chickenguardian.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer, here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website, healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. A message from the USDA. 
Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H-Feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Alrighty, welcome back to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. And again, we're talking with... Dr. McRae, poultry scientist and over at Auburn University in the 4-H program, an extension specialist, and just been on the show for like a decade now, and we love it when she comes on the second and fourth Thursday, no, first and third, first and third Thursdays of every single month. And this is kind of related, so I'm going to go ahead and mention this, Dr. McRae. Um, probably about a month ago, um, in fact, I'm making a post for uh, Facebook a little bit later this afternoon, but a publicity stunt by a popular chicken blogger at a recent poultry show brought to light the ignorance some people have when it comes to show poultry. Now, in an effort to bridge the gap between the backyard chicken folks and the show poultry folks, and of course anybody who wants to get more educated on kind of the show poultry scene, I reached out to the president of the American Poultry Association, Who's, who the, the, the poultry, American Poultry Association, no stranger to the show, they, uh, the, we, years ago, because we're doing this 10 years now, um, we would have the president and vice president of the American Poultry Association on. We've, 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 um, for the magazine, we've reached to them for some contributors for our magazine. In fact, uh, Rip uh, um, Stalvey uh, wrote for the magazine. Um, he had for about a year um, the show poultry scene. I think his, his – but we're going to do this now on a regular basis directly through through the American Poultry Association in the magazine, in Chicken Whisper magazine, every issue now. We have it, it may be called the show scene, for example, or maybe APA Today, um, but this first article was written by the president of the American Poultry Association. But in every magazine, there's going to be a designated article about um, show poultry, the fanciers, uh, they like to be called. And um, the American Poultry Association will be either uh, the staff, the board, somebody on the board of directors uh, going to be writing the article, or one of their members, maybe a judge, uh, maybe a person who shows poultry, and will maybe focus on breeds and different things like that. But in every article, uh, and, excuse me, every issue of Chicken Whisper Magazine, there will be an article by the American Poultry Association. So I'm excited about that. We're trying to work, too, um, where they can um, pool uh, enough people from their club, which shouldn't be a problem, but we're still working on the logistics, to come on the show once a month. 
Now, that once a month doesn't sound like a lot, but hey, when Dr. McCray comes on twice a month out of her schedule, we're so thankful for that. But we're trying to maybe see if we can schedule them to come on the fourth Thursday of every single month and have something related to show poultry. Um, I used to cover the backyard poultry shows a lot early on. We'd broadcast live from the poultry shows. In fact, I think we may have been the first one that did live video, live video. Um, back before Facebook Live, way back before, I mean, we just we would broadcast live video uh, just as a TV show going live. Uh, we did that at the Ohio National back when it was a national event uh, for ABA and APA, American Bantam Association. That was awesome. Jen was prego uh, with, I think, my, my son Caleb. And she would literally low-tech, but hold the laptop in the palm of her hands and walk around and follow me. We'd use the laptop camera, and I had the cord and the microphone, and we'd interview and look at the different breeds and things. But, um, but anyway, so I wanted to, since we're talking about Bantams and things, we're kind of, kind of related. I wanted to share that, and I'll be posting that a little bit later on, on Facebook page. I'm really proud to have them on board and have them starting to uh, participate in, in the magazine and hopefully on the, on the podcast as well. So we're talking with Dr. McCray today, Bantam Chicken Breeds for Beginners. And we'll turn it back over to you, Doc. Great. Thank you, Andy. Uh, one of the the breeds that we haven't talked about yet <clears throat> is the Japanese Bantam. Now, I, I when I lived on Delmarva, there were um, a nice gentleman um, who bred Japanese birds, and he was always, more than willing to just give nice sets of birds they had an interest in the breed. The Japanese bantam is unique. Um, they have dwarf legs. Uh, they have shortened legs, that means. Um, they are so short that the bird can actually drag their wings on the ground which means the wings are always going to be a little bit tattered. And they also have a very large, even in the females, single comb. Beautiful birds, stunning tails. The Japanese bantam is the only breed of bantam where it's allowed to have the tail up so high that it touches the back of their comb. Now, that's called a squirrel tail. Any tail that goes beyond a 90-degree mark on the bird's body, you know, you've got, if you think of the bird's body from from chest to vent as a horizontal plane and from the the legs all the way through the back as as a vertical plane, you're kind of making a big cross in the center of the bird. And if you extend that line up, Um, through the back up into the air, if that tail passes beyond that point and touches the back of the chicken's comb, that's called squirrel tail. This is the only breed where that's allowed. In other breeds, it's considered a a problem, something you should breed out. But in this breed, uh, along with the dwarf legs, it's fine. This is a really fun breed for kids. They're a little bit heavier bodied, but not so big, not so big after all. If a young person, however, is interested in doing 4-H poultry showmanship uh, with the walking component, this is not the right breed to use because they have dwarf legs. It'll take a few minutes for that bird to walk across the table. (laughs) And, you know, that's 
that takes some time, and that's not necessarily um, the right breed to use for showmanship. You rather want something that uh, walks a little easier across that table um, versus a bird that finds it difficult to walk across the table because it's got short little legs. <clears throat> Otherwise, for the most part, this is a great breed for young people to use. And I have met many a Japanese uh, chicken breed breeder, and they all would bend over backwards to get young people excited about their breed. Um, so there are many different varieties. A lot of them have tail in the name. Of course, there's black and white. Then they've got uh, black-tailed white, black-tailed buff, um, then they've got all kinds of different varieties from there, like they bl- uh, black-tailed blue, um, splash or mottled. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, I'll let everyone take a look at the photo gallery that exists on their webpage so they can kind of get an idea of the different varieties out there of the Japanese bantam. A good breeze, just a nice little breed. If you're looking for something that doesn't have a hard time walking, then what you might want to consider is a rose comb, which was named after guess what, Andy? Hmm. <laughs> yep. So the rose comb has a guess what rose comb, but it also has a giant white earlobe. A very prominent large rose comb. And the most common variety is black. Um, so you can find black rose combs lots of different places. But the Rose Comb Bantam Federation is a really nice group to work with. Um, they have a very good description of what they're looking for on their uh, webpage, which is www.rosecombs.com. They have a breed standard, articles, events coming up. They even have a scale of points on there. And even though the black is the most common variety, one of my best friends growing up and in college, um, she bred the unusual varieties. And she has started to see some fruits of her labor for the last 20 years in that her black-breasted reds are amongst the best in the nation. And if on the West Coast you see a black-breasted red rose comb, it came from Catherine Plummer. So um, there are a bunch of varieties like, say, lemon blue, a red pile, wheaten. Um, they do actually come in white. But black is the most common, and there are a couple dozen different varieties, um, but the most common that you're going to see are, are blacks and black-breasted reds and maybe some blues or blue brassy backs. It's a nice size breed. What? Uh-oh. It's, it's contest time. You have what? started this month's – yep, it's contest time. You're talking about combs. You're talking about the rose comb, and I thought this would be – the first thing that popped in my mind was the, the comb, different types of combs that are out there, and so it's contest time. So this is what we're going to do. I have a – ready for this? A $50 gift certificate. And that's not a $50 gift certificate to Can Cackle I win it? Hatchery. 
No, you cannot win it. <laughs> but if you want some chick, if you want some chicks from Cackle, I can get you all you want. <laughs> but, so, but a fifty-dollar gift certificate to Cackle Hatchery, um, and this is what we're going to do. You can email. Um, and we'll do this. We'll run it until next week's show, and then next week's show we'll announce the winner. And um, But we're only going to do it for the show, and so I'm not going to put this on Facebook right now. This is going to be strictly for the, uh, the the podcast and our live listeners and our archive listeners. So uh, out of the uh, hundreds that listen live and then the thousands that listen to the archive, this is absolutely just for you. $50 gift certificate to um, – uh, cackle hatchery and this is what you got to do you just have to email us the different combs that are out there and i want to say due to past contests and magazine articles that there are nine um different types of chicken combs we're going to say if you can name us eight um then then you'll be entered into the contest as well so we're looking for the eight or nine and I know this was some controversy in previous contests in the magazine article, but so we'll take uh, either if you can only find eight or if you can find nine, eight or nine, um, email us the eight or nine chicken, different types of chicken combs that you know of and send that to contest at chickenwhisperer.com. Contest at chickenwhisperer.com. And we'll review all those. And everybody who has the correct answer will be put into a pot and we will randomly select a winner for this $50 gift certificate. So I'll just talk about combs, the rose comb. I was like, ah, combs, that would be a great opportunity for a contest. Not to apologize for interrupting you, but it was a great opportunity, and I had this available uh, for February. So, uh, yeah, let me repeat that real quick. Contest, email me over 8 or 9, we'll take both, uh, chicken combs that you know of that are out there, and you'll be put into a winning or, or a pot, and then we will randomly choose the winner from those totals, and we'll announce the winner next week on the radio show podcast for a $50 gift certificate. So how cool is that? Uh, got a little prize for everybody, contest time, and you're talking about rose combs reminded me of that. So there's our, our question for this week for the podcast, our contest this week, rather. So go out there Wonderful. and email and enter, and maybe you can get $50 gift certificate to uh, Cackle Hatchery and get you some Bantam chicks on the way. <laughs> now, if you are thinking about raising some Bantam chicks, there are a couple things you need to consider. Of course, if you're going to raise them alongside your large fowl, you need to have your Bantam equipment a little bit lower. And if possible, try to exclude the adult birds from having access to that feed um, or they can waste it. Uh, that's why keeping bantams and large fowl together is really kind of problematic. You'll have a higher feed bill because the large fowl tend to get in there and just start wasting uh, the feed. You need to have the feed raised up so it's at the height of the bird's back. Well, a bantam's back is way lower than a large fowl's back, so they should be in two separate pens or two separate coops. And some of those really cute coops that you find at the feed store or even at big box stores online that really can only accommodate two large fowl, well, that's just fine for three or four bantams. That space is just fine for them, depending on the size of the bantam, of course. Uh, and if you're doing Japanese bantams, you really want things uh, designed so that they don't have to jump down on things. Um, but they are very strong flyers. 
keep that in mind. They're beautiful birds, but they will seek a tree and stay up there because they know they're small, and that is raptor bait. Um, so make sure that uh, you've got accommodations for your birds because they are small, easily preyed upon by birds of prey. Um, make sure you've got secure coops. Um, when you've got bantam-sized birds and large fowls together, um, the large fowl can be pushy and push those smaller birds away. So check them, check their body weight. Um, raptors will come in or uh, and easily pick up a, a small bantam-sized bird and forego the larger ones if they can get their claws on a smaller one. It's just easier for them to grab. Uh, but the rose combs are, are a very good breed uh, for young people. The males are not that mean. Um, they're really quite mellow. I do like how easy they are to care for. And because the black variety is so common, you don't have to worry about them being outside and end up yellowing their feathers because they've got black feathers. Um, also, corn in the diet isn't as much of an issue because you know, yellow corn in the diet will, on a white feathered bird, will yellow their feathers. She don't want. <laughs> um, so that's the rose comb. I'm going to delve a little bit into the Belgian bearded Dianvers. So Belgian bearded, two separate words. And the third word is Dianvers, D. Uh, apostrophe A-N-V-E-R-S Danvers. So think of them as pretty much like a booted bantam or a deocle without all the feathers on the legs. Same, about the same body size. Um, bearded with beard and muff. And they have their own club. So the Belgian Bearded Danver Club of America where they keep uh, a very nice photo album, have upcoming meets. Um, and I think you would enjoy working with this bird. It walks very easy, easily um, and is a very nice breed for a young person who's looking to have not what everybody else has got. They want something a little different. Well, this is a really good breed with several different varieties to choose from um, to really kind of separate themselves from their fellow um, youth flock owners. Um, I would recommend that you get them from a breeder. There are breeders all across this great nation of ours. And um, I would say this year they've already had their special meet, which is in Massachusetts at the Northeastern Poultry Congress. That's usually in January, um, poultrycongress.com. Um, but each district has their own meets. Like there's one coming up. Well, there was one in Florida. Um, Georgia's got the Peach State Poultry Association, Just Peachy Premier, that was earlier this year. Um, so you can check out what's going on near you. Not all the districts have something, but if you are near one of them, go see. Go see some of these birds. They're very neat. Um, one of the last breeds I'm going to talk about, Andy, 
is kind of a controversy, which is why I saved it for the end. <laughs> um, these are saucy people with saucy birds. Um, this is a, a breed that tends to also have a squirrel tail, very upright station, very bold appearance. Um, you want them to show on a table rather than on a, a cage. However, that comes into part of the controversy, which isn't exactly fun for people taking their first dive into poultry keeping. Unfortunately, with the breed Sarama, there's a rift. There's two groups. Um, uh, if you start learning about the Sarama, you'll hear about the Sarama Council of North America, and then there's the American Sarama Association. Right. Two different groups who are kind of at odds because of human personalities, definition of what the breed should look at. Uh, I don't know if they'll ever make nice with each other, which is kind of a bummer because if a young person takes an interest in this, who knows who their mentor will be, and they're going to kind of dive into the deep end of a controversy, which is a bummer. (laughs) It's just a bummer. Okay. Uh, So, the Sarama um, tends to show be very showy. Uh, it's a very uh, nice breed, even though the males look like they are going to take on the world. They're very good with children. <laughs> uh, very sweet birds. And so I would recommend to anyone, if you want to show a Sarama, they're great to work with, um, and they walk very well if you're doing showmanship. There's lots of varieties that they come in, again, depending on which association you work with, what that variety should look like, and the shape of the bird varies. And that is all I'm going to say about that, because I don't want to get embroiled in this. Nope. Oh, come on. Come on. (laughs) Nope. That's not my favorite breed, so I'm not even going there. That's not my breed. Um couple of breeds that I haven't talked much about but are out there. Well, let's talk about the Nankin, N-A-N-K-I-N. Super, ultra, rare. Needs help. If there's somebody out there who wants to help bring back the Nankin, which was a foundational bird for many of these breeds that I've talked about, including the Seabright, that is a breed that needs people, needs people. I cannot stress that enough. Um, so the Nankin um, is a beautiful bird, about about the same size as an old English game, light-bodied bird, um, sweet hens, a uh, couple of different comb types, but the Nankin, hey, it needs some people out there. So there you have it. I think that's what I'm going to share with you today, Andy. I'm going to turn it back over to you. If there were any questions, I don't have the chat room open. So nope, please share. There are no questions. And um, you're heading somewhere cool today. Right now, no. you're heading somewhere, right? Oh, 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 oh. I'm like, I'm like, wait, I'm in my office. What are you talking about? 
<laughs> My office is cool, huh? <laughs> Coccidia study or something like that, right? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, the advisory council that you're on for um, backyard poultry research has um, already started. Uh, the One of the researchers has already started work on the Coccidia study, and he's going to, right up upstairs from my office, as I look at the ceiling right now, that's their floor, going to head upstairs and meet two of the students who are working on that study, and I'm um, going to introduce myself to them and see where they're at and see if I can't in the next couple days um, there and see if they'll let me take some photos of them working with their chickens, and... Um, Maybe they'll let me share them with you online so you can kind of see all the fruits of the, the labors that are going to help your listeners out there, Andy. Sounds like a plan. That's awesome. We'll have a good time. Tell them I said hello. And um, we'll, do. we'll see you back here in a couple of weeks. We'll see you back here in a couple of weeks, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for coming on the show. Great show, as always, and we'll see you uh, in a couple of weeks. Bye, Andy. Bye-bye. Thank you. Again, that's Dr. Bridget McRae, Ph.D., over there at Auburn University and uh, really has the uh, the back of the backyard poultry world. Uh, we're trying to – it's been a challenge because we know all the studies and all the testing and all of this is really designed for large uh, corporate poultry, if you will. And she's really worked hard over the years, and now she's at Auburn, and, and she's really – implementing now um, studies to help backyard poultry folks. And I'm really anxious because uh, being on this advisory council, uh, trying to get some the definitive studies on all these myths, rumors, and stereotypes and, and quackery and wives' tales and things that a lot of these chicken bloggers are sharing. Oh, this cures that. This cures this. This cures that. This worked for me. This worked for you. This will work for me. This will work for you. Um, I gave this, and it worked, um, and with no proof whatsoever. So um, I'm really excited to get some of these results uh, from her, her hard work as well over there at Auburn regarding the backyard poultry uh, world. So looking forward to that. Hey, guys, don't forget the contest just for you, Radio Our listeners, whether you listen to the live show or the archive show, um, and, and – um, $50 gift certificate to Cackle Hatchery. What we want you to do is we want you to email us uh, contest at chickenwhisperer.com. And just, I need your name. And uh, actually, I just, you know, I'll have your email address when you send it over. Um, so there's no real need to have your name and your phone number and your mailing address and all that. So just, but what I do need, you put your name there because your email address may not have your name. But I need your name. And then eight or nine different chicken combs um, and we'll take eight or nine if you put it, give us eight or nine then you'll be put in a big basket if you will and we'll randomly draw and you'll win a $50 gift certificate to Cackle Hatchery and we'll announce the winner on the show next week of course we'll get in contact with you through your email so if you don't have to listen live next week to, to know who won I mean, you'll know who won but to win you don't have to be listening live we'll contact you via email um, for that. So that's an awesome contest. We've got $50 gift certificate to our friends over at Cackle Hatchery, and we'll be doing one of those uh, every single month. So um, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to Chicken Whisperer Magazine. You can subscribe to the free edition. That, that's cool with us, too. Uh, if you, you know, We've had a lot of people recently say, hey, you know what? I want the real deal mailed to me in my mailbox where I can sit in my easy chair and open flip through pages 
It's only $9.95 a year, folks, but chickenwhisperermagazine.com is where you can do both. You can subscribe to the digital edition absolutely free, and it's the same thing, same magazine. Nothing is taken out. Nothing is reduced. You're reading the same magazine as the print, page after page after page for free because it's the importance of getting the right information into your hands uh, that you can rely on to have a healthy flock in your backyard. You can go to Amazon. The new book is out. It's doing very well. Um, Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop, where uh, my team of experts blow out of the water all these myths and rumors and and uh, blogbusters, basically, with all this information that you're seeing put on uh, places like that. So, um, hey, We'll be back next time right here on Blog Talk Radio. Thank you very much for tuning in. God bless everybody. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.